HPAC on Air listeners. This is episode three of our part five of our five-part mini-series podcast. So now is the time that I'd like to suggest if you haven't listened to parts one and two, I recommend that you go back and catch up on those first episodes before we continue with this one. So with that, let's go ahead and get started on today's topics. Change in the HVAC industry over the last 30 years. Back with me today is Carl Zelmer. Welcome. Hi, Lindsay. How are you? Welcome. And then today I'd also like to introduce Shane Angle to our conversation. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Lindsay. Happy to be here. Awesome. Um, Shane, would you like to introduce who you are to the, to the listeners? Yes. Hi, listeners. Uh, this is Shane Angle. I am, uh, I've been with Emerson now for about 22 years. Um, so most of my adult life, I started in engineering straight out of college. I've spent a great deal of time working on our scroll compressors and uh, eventually moved into marketing, uh, worked very closely with our customers, got to know the industry much better as I transitioned into those roles. And uh, over the last several years, have just continued to play a, um, a, a role uh, in marketing and product management and product planning and uh, have now uh, had the, uh, the wonderful opportunity to, uh, to replace Carl Zelmer as he uh, moves into uh, the, the next phase of his life uh, with retirement. So uh, just want to congratulate Carl on a, a wonderful career. Thanks, Shane. This is exciting. So we have both of you, our Emerson experts, when it comes to the HVAC industry. This is awesome. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. I'd like to start with just changes in the unitary market overall. So, um, Carl, do you want to kick us off on on what what was happening thirty years ago, twenty years ago? I, I think there's there's two things. There's reg, you know there's regulations, of course, and we're going to talk about that in a little more depth. Uh, but there also there's a a change in demographics where more people uh, have started moving west and south and southwest and and you know it's not rocket science when people move to the south uh, the population goes up the air conditioning saturation rate of, of housing you can't live in south florida and not have air conditioning or it wouldn't be very comfortable <laughs> no <laughs> in fact on flights sometimes I, people ask me what i do for a living when i'm, I'm traveling to a southern state and I said, I make it possible for you to live here. <laughs> that always gets him going. But, but in, in, you know, with the higher saturation rates and, and for people, the demographics further, further south, uh, there's a lot more runtime on the equipment as well. So that, that means uh, shorter lifespans of the equipment and more replacement business and so forth. So that move in and of itself has helped the unitary market grow. It's just the thing, if it, don't, if it only lasts 10 years rather than 15, there's more replacement, more opportunities for all of us in the industry. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, were there technology changes that had to happen because this is also taking place? You know, the uh, the, the technology was not necessarily uh, related to demographics. It's more towards uh, regulations and uh, the need for higher efficiency equipment. And there have been a bunch of them. Uh, you know, back in uh, 1992, there was a change from eight to ten seer, uh, and that's a that's a pretty big jump, a 25 percent jump. So. Uh, what people did, and, and we were, uh, I think, more lucky than, than, than good at that point in time. We were, uh, you know, into, into the introduction of our, our initial ZRK1 scrolls, which were significantly more uh, energy efficient than the reciprocating compressors that they, they took, took their place. Many of our customers, you know, to get to 10-seer, they, they already had a line of 9-seer equipment. And all they did was really just drop in our scroll, and that gave them a one-seer bump, and, and it wasn't a, a major uh, redesign uh, for them. 
but what it did do was it dramatically increased uh, the demand for scroll, and we ended up having to build a new plant uh, in Lebanon, Missouri, just to keep up. So oh, wow. that bump of so, itself, we we went from a capacity of 350 to 400,000 a year to well over a million scrolls a year, and we needed every bit of that capacity to keep up with the, with the marketplace. Wow, that's amazing that one change can make a huge impression on a company. Yeah, and, and, and so the next one, which took, took place in, in 2006, uh, was, was a, a 10 to 13 seer, another uh, big jump, and uh, we're a little, little better at it this next time around. We spent a lot of time, a lot of planning on what was going to be needed uh, as for a product line to to help our customers be ready, and that ended up we came out with uh, you know, the the, uh, the next generation ZPK5 and and uh, ZRK5 and ZPKA models, which were uh, another bump in efficiency, and uh, we had a, a great acceptance by our customer base. We were uh, worked with them. Uh, with a voice of the customer and what do they need from us and tweak the models, just fine-tune the product for uh, the new regulations and for our customers' equipment. And, uh, and, and I always say we, we, we were first just with Moses. We had sample banks. We had, and I always have an adage, if you fill your customers' uh, labs up with samples, they don't have time to test anybody else. And, <laughs> and we did a pretty good job of that, and we, we were very successful in, in the 2006 uh, a transition in the 10 to 13 here. Um, there was another one uh, that came up in, in, uh, in 2010, and that was pretty much a move from R22 to R410A. And uh, So and, for those that aren't as familiar, I know a lot of our listeners are contractors. Can you explain uh, the different types of refrigerants when you're talking about R22 and R410A? Okay, R- R22 would be the industry standard refrigerant for the last uh, 25 or 30 years prior to 2010. Uh, medium pressure refrigerant, and uh, R410A, uh, uh, a higher pressure uh, refrigerant and a little bit uh, more environmentally friendly than R22. And uh, so it was it was very much a different compressor. Uh, but luckily, we had been in production with R410A uh, products for uh, many years prior to that. So we were well prepared for the refrigerant change, and, and uh, it wasn't wasn't a major event for us so far so much for the for the compression, but it was for our customers that they had to uh, basically get rid of their R22 designs and replicate their product line completely with R410A. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like. When it comes to regulation changes, a lot of that has has been good for the industry, equaling higher efficiency, um, better products. But let's talk about the process of regulations in general. So how does that typically work? Are we involved in the regulation process? Are we are we being proactive? Are we are we retroactive? How, how does that work? We are proactive uh, in terms of being ready for it and being involved with it and, and being on various committees, so we're pretty knowledgeable about it. But I think Shane is closer to it than I am, and perhaps he wants to, wants to go through that. Yeah, for sure, Carl. The thing I would add is that, you know, we um, we spend a great deal of time talking to, uh, as Carl mentioned, these committees. But, um, you know, over the last uh, 10 years or so, um, you know, the Department of Energy and the EPA have done a a pretty good job of, of proactively seeking the input of the industry, and, um, and and we're a big part of that. So these committees that, that Carl mentions typically tend to be these consensus building committees and forums that are that are uh, put together uh, by AHRI, for example, as an industry uh, representation 
uh, body that would work with the DOE and uh, the, the uh, EPA and uh, try to build some consensus of uh, understanding what uh, the Department of Energy and the EPA's expectations are and then providing feedback to them on, on what we believe is actually feasible to address uh, the, the goals and the desires of the Department of Energy when they're trying to improve the efficiency of the equipment. And of course, the EPA uh, when they're um, you know seeking refrigerants that might be more environmentally friendly. So we and our customers play a pretty big role, um, you know, years prior to these regulations uh, in negotiating, uh, you know, what is feasible uh, versus what is desired. So then, as a manufacturer, how do you get that message when you know these changes are coming down to the contractor level? Like, what's the next step when it comes to? Um, these are the upcoming regs, you know they're coming down the line. How do we convey that with our products and our message to the contractors? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple different ways that, that we have done that, and it's, it's important. And, and one, uh, you know, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, uh, and then it's important to, to decide when is the right time to start talking, you know, to the contractors to give them a heads up of, of what can be expected in the years to come. And the, the, the one campaign that, that I recall that, um, you know, we did back in the, in the 2006 timeframe or just prior to that was the get serious campaign, you know? So I think Carl played a pretty big role in that. If I recall, um, you know, on, on different, uh, this is podcast now, back then I think it was radio, but Carl has always said, <laughs> Carl has always said that he has a great face for radio. And I think we, we took advantage of that face back when we put the Get Serious campaign together. So Carl, maybe you want to talk a little bit about how we conveyed and uh, proactively conveyed to the to the contractor base. Yeah, I, I did I did one TV show and they told me I belong in radio. <laughs> we, we had a Get Serious campaign that... In, in, in general, we're pretty active with the industry in all uh, avenues of uh, customer-facing uh, part of the of, of the industry. But we had the Get Serious campaign, uh, trade shows, contractor advisory councils, active involvement with Air Conditioning Contractors of America, and we did a number of radio shows as well in in, in this time frame. So um, I think I did thirty radio talk shows. Uh, wow! Uh, it was yeah. It was a, it was one. Actually, it was kind of fun because you. I did a few of them live and a few of them uh, just regular broadcast. And the, the most fun one was WLW out of Cincinnati, where I I, I went to school. I lived in Cincinnati. Went, went to school there, and, and uh, the, you know the guy, the DJ, I'd listened to for years and years and years, and he found out I was from Cincinnati. And we're talking. Bengals and Cincinnati Reds, and I said, "Yeah, come on, it's time to talk about energy efficiency." <laughs> so we finally got it. Luckily, it wasn't it wasn't live, and so but but it, it was fun, and particularly the, the live ones too, where you had people call, call, callers calling in. Okay. Uh, and the little little eighty year old grandmother was was uh, you know talking to me about what kind of air conditioning system should she get one of the new units and uh, she she asked about a, a ten year warranty and and I didn't know what to tell her really because she was already in her mid eighties I think at the oh. time. <laughs> Don't spend the money. But it, but it, 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 when you when you combine a, a, a industry wide effort both with the public with the contractors with the customer base. You end up getting some credibility, and, and people ended up regarding us as uh, knowledgeable but unbiased, and give a fair assessment of what's coming up and, and, and good information source. And we're not trying to sell anybody's piece of equipment; we're just trying to advise the industry. And I think it's carried through up up to today. Yeah, definitely. Um, so then, I guess let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the regulation side of things today. Let's talk about 
changes that we're seeing as far as refrigerant changes now and sear changes and even new technologies to help us with that. Um, Maybe touch on regional standards as well. Too. Yeah, yeah, I was going to suggest we start there. It, you know, the most recent, um, you know, increase in sear efficiency, um, you know, set forth by the DOE were the what we refer to as the regional standards, which went into effect in 2015. And, you know, I, I was heavily involved in that years prior, um, you know, working on some of these committees as well as working directly with our customers. And the, the thing that I would have mentioned about that, that regional standards in 2015 that was quite different than some of the prior regulations that Carl talked about is that um, they were practical with respect to, to the approach the industry took. Uh, essentially setting different minimums uh, based on whether you were in the north or you were in the south or the southwest. And it, it made a lot of sense with respect to, um, you know, you, you, why would you put a very high efficiency uh, air conditioner in the, in the north when it only runs a couple months a year? Um, and so I think the, the approach was very good and logical and practical. The, the challenge that the industry had to figure out was how to implement uh, that change and how to, how to regulate, monitor, and police it. So the prior regulations were pretty simple. It was one minimum efficiency standard for all equipment being manufactured. Um, and so the approach was just uh, regulate that by the manufacturer's date, okay, and do it in the plant. Regional standards introduced a new problem. You were going to be able to, the manufacturers were allowed to essentially uh, make 13 sear equipment, but it can only be sold in the north. It could not be sold in the south. So a great deal of work went on, um, you know, working through this with the Federal Trade Commission to come up with new energy guides and to figure out how the distribution channel would handle uh, carrying equipment in one state that could be, uh, let's say you were a border state and you were a distributor and you sold product, um, you know, into one state that had a 13 sear minimum and then the state just south of you, you know, was a 14 sear minimum. So a great deal of challenge. But, you know, it's interesting. I think the industry ultimately, we, we worked through that. And, uh, and found a way to make that work. And uh, the other thing that I think that, that I would comment on the technology shift that took place during that time was uh, Carl mentioned the migration to the South. And, you know, one thing about the South is it's, uh, it's, it's very humid. So it's not just the heat in the South. And, and what we really saw take place during, during that time frame was the emergence of uh, modulating technologies uh, like our, our generation or our second generation two-stage product, for example. And, um, those products now are emerging as kind of the ideal solution for, um, you know, the South region where it's not only hot year round, but the, the humidity level is very high. And, and the modulating products like our Gen 2 two stage do a very good job of addressing the needs for the customers in that, in that kind of climate. So um, it was the Gen 2 uh, two stage as well as products like our K6. Carl had mentioned the, the 5G or the K5 product, but the K6 was really a solution that enabled uh, our customers to develop cost-effective products during that 2015 time frame to address the regional standards. You, Shane, you might want to expand on uh, why two-stage is such a good product for a uh, humid environment and, uh, and, and how, that, how that works. Because some of the folks here uh, aren't, aren't contractors are not close enough to the industry to, to understand that. Yeah, you know, my, my wife was just asking me the other day, why, why is it that during the day when it's really hot and humid, you know, it feels okay in the house at 75 degrees? And then as the evening comes, you know, at 75, 76 degrees, it's no longer comfortable in the house. And I tried to explain, well, that's because the air conditioner is not running anymore. And when the air conditioner is not running, it's not pulling the humidity out of the space in the home. So, um, so as that temperature fluctuates outside and the humidity fluctuates, um, you know, those fixed capacity systems are cycling on and off. And, it's some, and sometimes they're not cycling on uh, as often as they should be to remove that humidity. So the more your air conditioner is running, 
uh, the better job it does at, uh, at, at pulling the humidity out of the space in, in your home. And what a two-stage product does or a modulation system does is it, it, it adjusts the capacity output of the system uh, you know, to align it with the humidity levels and the temperature levels in the home. So hopefully that does a pretty good job, Carl. Anything you want to add it? explaining how that works no running running longer at, at low stage uh, at a more comfortable and better not only humidity control but more even temperatures throughout the house and uh, it's just a more comfortable environment for for all concerned thanks for the explanation on that i mean i think it's a little counterintuitive what people normally think when they're thinking about their air conditioner i know even my folks they'll they'll turn the air conditioner off during during times when it's cooler and I'm like, don't do that. Leave it on. <laughs> Leave it on. Let it run. <laughs> um, so Lindsay, you asked about future refrigerant regulations or yes. future efficiency regulations and maybe compare and contrast that to you know the ones Carl mentioned before and correct. So Carl Carl talked about R twenty two being the workhorse of the past and, and how we've migrated to, to R four ten A as a new refrigerant. So you know, I, I can remember when I first started in 1995, um, we were building some of the first 410A compressors at that time. And uh, so 1995 versus 2010, 2010 was the official mandate where manufacturers were no longer allowed to make R22 systems. So that became the date that really flipped the switch over to 410A. So the industry had about 14 or 15 years just to get comfortable with that refrigerant change. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and now, we, now we are on the horizon. We are looking at a refrigerant change likely in the next several years. Um, the regulations aren't real clear in terms of how that's going to be implemented. But uh, the desire is that we migrate to a refrigerant that has lower global warming potential uh, than 410A, for example. And so um, the challenge I see uh, is kind of twofold. Um, versus the experience I just mentioned where 410A was around for about 14, 15 years, the industry had a lot of time to get prepared for it, warm up to it. It was higher working pressures. That was the primary concern about 410A. Mm -hmm. um, so two challenges moving forward. I, I don't think we have as much time to get comfortable. Um, and and the, the other thing is the alternatives we are looking at um, have a new uh, safety class designation uh, of what we refer to as, as A2L, meaning that they, uh, they are mildly flammable. Um, now, I don't think that's insurmountable, but I think a, a decent amount of work is underway and, uh, to understand what that means with respect to making sure that the contractors uh, and the customers, the users, end users, uh, you know, can operate in a safe environment. So there's a great deal of work underway right now with safety, updating safety standards around this A2L uh, classification, uh, and then ultimately the, the building codes uh, that would impact any changes that would, that would be necessary to the, uh, to the systems uh, to, to be sure that they operate in a safe manner with this mildly uh, flammable fluid that, that is likely to emerge as the alternative to 410A. So um, that makes things a little bit different. Uh, the regulations aren't yet set in stone, so we don't know exactly how uh, the industry is going to be impacted and when and how it'll be regulated. Uh, but what we do know, I think, is that it's going to happen in a time frame that, that, that is um, a little bit tighter than the, the 14, 15 years that I mentioned about the migration from R22 to 410A. Honeywell's uh, recently announced uh, a new refrigerant uh, potential candidate that is uh, A1 category. You want to touch on that briefly? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Emerson is aware of the, this. Uh, I think Honeywell refers to it as the uh, the N41 refrigerant. And uh, it was recently um, 
given a provisional R number uh, from ASHRAE of, of R466A, and uh, it's a pretty hot topic uh, in, in the news and trade press recently. And uh, it, it would be, uh, it, it has some potential. The fact that it, uh, it seems to be the only A1 potential refrigerant as an alternative to R410A. But, uh, you know, given what we know about the refrigerant at this particular point in time, there's still a great deal of work that needs to be done, you know, to understand um, the technical viability. Um, so I mentioned those A2L options um, uh, previously, and, and a, a lot of work has been done to date on those refrigerants to understand how the system and the compressor, for example, would need to change to accommodate those, those fluids. Uh, a little less work has been done on this N41 refrigerant. Uh, so there's more work that needs to be done with this potential A1 alternative um, to, to validate its technical viability as well as uh, the economic viability of, of the refrigerant. So we are working very hard with uh, the chemical manufacturers and the system manufacturers to evaluate all these options. And we are proactively, uh, as we speak, preparing uh, products uh, that would be optimized for the various refrigerant solutions. If they're A2L, some of the candidates include R22, R32, sorry, uh, R454B, R452B, and then the 1A1 potential is the R466A Honeywell refrigerant that we just mentioned. So the reason we are doing that work proactively um, is we're also preparing for the next round of efficiency standards and uh you know so lindsay i think you were about to ask me questions about the next round of efficiency standards. yes so that was my my next question exactly um on the next round of efficiency standards how does that play a role um how is emerson playing a part in that well just just like we have in the past um you know I, it'll be a challenge for our uh customers um to, to, to produce cost-effective systems that meet these new standards. And, um, you know, we estimate, and, and by the way, these new standards that I'm referring to is a, another round of regional standards for residential equipment in 2023, and another round of uh, increase in efficient minimum efficiencies for rooftop air conditioners in the same time frame, 2023. And we estimate that in order to, um, to meet these new minimum efficiencies, our customers are, are likely going to have to redesign about 80% of their systems. So a wow. great, a great, that's de right. the majority of their systems. Yeah, that's right. So a great deal of work has to happen between now and, and, and 2023. So work is already underway. Um, and, and the compressor, of course, is an important uh, element of that work. And so we've been working to, to on new products that would be both optimized for R410A because we believe that the current refrigerant is going to be around for uh, several years to come. Okay. Uh, and so the primary path is to optimize R410A new products, uh, again, to enable, um, you know, a cost-effective solution for both the residential and the light commercial manufacturers to meet these new DOE standards in 2023. I was going to say, with the, the changes that they're going to have to be making to the majority of their systems, cost-effective options are probably the first thing on the list. Um, outside of that, what are the next steps then? Well, the next steps often are, you know, getting that minimum, getting a product line that uh, in the base meets that minimum requirement in a very cost-effective fashion is typically the, the number one priority for the customers, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. I'd say that the second thing to be thinking about is how to position, um, you know, enhancements or uh, a mid-tier and a premium tier offering above that new minimum. 
And so we have been working not only on solutions to uh, that are cost effective for the base, but also new solutions that might help the uh, the manufacturers differentiate their product lines and offer premium solutions that are either more comfortable, um, have more intelligence, or have enhancements by way of uh, new modulation technology, such that uh, they can they can address the needs of their customer base with premium solutions. Uh, above the, the new minimums, uh, SEER and uh, IEER standards that are set to go in place 2023. And then I would say the other thing that, that we're thinking about, and, and so are our customers are, you know, as they redesign, you know, we, we just talked about the future refrigerants. As they redesign, um, you know, we're thinking about this future refrigerant at the same time. And so as we develop our products and they develop theirs, um, these A2L and alternative refrigerants to 410A are also in mind. And so we're trying to do that work proactively and in parallel. Well, on that note, I think that's a good in, a good lead-in and tease to what we're going to talk about in our next episode, where we're, we talk more about modulation technologies and what the current conversation is with the next generation of contractors and manufacturers. Um, so with that, I'd like to thank you both again, Shane and Carl, for joining us on the show. Till next time, listeners. Follow us on Copeland Scroll Facebook, Copeland Scroll Twitter. Thank you.